Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 to 16 tonight. The title of the message, The Effectiveness of God's Word. And brothers, a little shout out. I could teach on the importance, the effectiveness, whatever, when it comes to the Word of God. For me, this is a, this is a message that should be coming from every pulpit. That, and of course... What does is, what is our bookmark say, guys? Every man, every day. Here's, here's my thought. If every Christian in Christianity, in every church, was in the Word of God every day, and not just a two-minute little devotion like, oh, that was sweet. No, I mean, in the Word, having a meal, having steak, having potato, having salad, having dessert, having the full counsel of God. I believe, you know, I mean, we want to come to church. We need to be at church, whatever, but we wouldn't need church. We wouldn't need that because there's enough in God's word, even if you don't understand it completely. I don't know what that means, whatever. There's enough here that if every man was doing, everyone was doing that, every Christian, man, Christianity would be shining like it's supposed to. So tonight, though, the effectiveness of God's word, the coming of the Lord, and Famine, of course, the definition is an extreme shortage of food. All through history, there have been famines increasing in number as the years have gone by. 1800s, 27 major, 1900, 43 majors. And the UN says that famine kills, listen to this, 26,000 people per day, about 17 people every 60 seconds. Famine. Isn't that kind of a shame we think about that? It's, it's sobering. When I kind of was looking at this, it just kind of like, oh, my gosh. Seriously. And they, they say that around the world, it's the um, number one killer of children, five and under. Starvation. Isn't that pathetic when you think about it, when we think of how much food we just like. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. The point is, famine Jesus said, interestingly, in the last days, many signs of his coming. But what was one of them? There will be famines in the land. But more incredible, though, was the prophecy from Amos. And you may know this verse in chapter 8, verse 11 through 12. He basically speaks that there will be a famine of the word of God, that men will go searching for it, a famine of hearing the prophetic voice of God. It was going to stop, and it did God quit speaking, of hearing it, of it being spoken in truth, spoken prophetically by Amos of the time of his writing, but also of a time to come, which I believe is now. And there is a famine in the land in regards to the word of God, guys, a famine. Not so much in the availability of it. I mean, I was reading today that they, they think like they've lost track. They don't know exactly how many Bibles have been sold but like 3.9 billion since the 1800s. There's a Bible in just about everybody's house. It's crazy. There's churches on just about every corner nowadays. You drive down to L.A. and you see them all over the place, don't you? Everywhere. <laughs> got all kinds of churches. The famine isn't that, that there isn't any word of God. The famine is that it's not being read. It's not being studied. It's not being received as the truth 
and obeyed. You know, when you come to salvation, there is belief. But a lot of people think, I I believe in God. But that belief has to be backed up by a repentance leading to an obedience. That's the evidence. Anybody can say they believe. The demons believe. Famine, you guys. And this famine, I think, has come to plague the church. Where people do not know the truth, for one. But secondly, they don't want to know the truth. They want to know what pleases themselves. Where people reject the truth, even in the church today. And they turn aside to fables, as Paul said, and to false doctrines, things that don't bring salvation. And of course, in, in Paul's day, the passage we're reading, same thing, expressing his praise and thanks to God for the Thessalonians and what had taken um, place in the lives of the believers, how they had received the word, how God, we see in chapter one, man, Paul just couldn't praise them enough. Man, they heard, they believed, they accepted. They accepted it as the truth, as the word of God, not the word of men, as we'll see in our passage. That's, that's, a, that's a good question. Do you believe this is the word of God or is this just the word of men that we've recorded? And see, when the gospel, of course, was shared under the power of the Holy Spirit, Lives were changed. The word of God changed them, transformed them. People were convinced that this was the truth and that this was what they were looking for. When you came to faith, did you have that realization, that revelation, like, this is it. I remember when I got saved. I remember that at the altar there. I remember the God coming on. I remember in, in my heart going, this is what I have been looking for, what I've been searching for. This is what I've been filling my life with drugs and alcohol for. This is it. This is it, man. This is it. In our passage, though, Paul, he compares the Thessalonians with the Judeans. See, the Thessalonians received the word, and what did it do? Saved them, changed them, rescued them, gave them eternal life. But the Judeans, not just the Jews, but those in Judea, the Romans and the Gentiles, the Judeans, they rejected it, especially the Jews. And what did it bring brought judgment. And sad to say, all through history, you read the prophets, the history of the children of Israel, man, what's up with those folks? They rejected God. They rejected the prophets. They rejected his word to their own demise. Super sad. I'm going to read a passage in Amos chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. You don't need to turn there. But this is what we're talking about. Amos, of course, prophetically speaking, chapter 2, though, For thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Why? Because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. My goodness, guys. And, of course, that took place many times over, again, after the writing of even this book. Because we know that in 70 A.D., historically, what happened to Jerusalem? Wiped out. And Paul, of course, writing this, saying this, this trend has continued and had continued. They rejected the Messiah. He was revealed. 
He did the miraculous. What more could Jesus do? What more could he do to like prove I'm, I'm the guy? Nope, nope, nope. You're not the one we're looking for. We want another Messiah. Most completely rejected him to their destruction as well, of course. In our passage, though, we see this, this contrast, what I see, of a triumphant people and a tragic people. The triumphant people, the Thessalonians, those who just love God's word, they received it, believed it, they lived by it. And, and even quote the scripture here in a minute, and it, works, it worked effectively in their lives. This means to be operative, to be at work, um, to put forth power. That's what happened. It worked effectively, the effectiveness of God's word. The tragic people, the Judeans, the Jews, the Gentiles, Romans, those who have not received it or believed it are an outright rebellion, and their lives reflect this. Even to this day, we know those people who have not received Christ, people in their own families. You look at them, you talk to them to your blue in the face, and they're just smashing their heads against the wall. Their noses are bloodied, and they can't figure out what the problem is. But we were all in the same place, so huh? But such were some of us. So let's read the passage, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men. And sad to say, from many pulpits in America, it's the word of men coming from the pulpit. It's not the word of God. It's the, men, it's the word of philosophy. It's the word of culture. It's the word of, of the things that will make you feel good about yourself. The word of men. But as it is in truth, the word of God. Do you believe that you hold in your hand today? Not your phony Bible, but this thing right here. <laughs> as the word of God. Do you believe it's the word of God? Which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men. For beginning, man, Paul was rolling there. He was preaching, baby. He was preaching. He had the, the hanky out right there, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Number one, Paul speaks of a triumphant people, verse 13, 14. And this is how our lives can be and will be when we do what the Thessalonians did with the word of God. What did they do, number one? They received it. They received it. It worked effectively in their lives. They heard it, learned it. They were open. They were receptive to it. They received it. They received it. They received the, the, the seed, as Jesus talked about. But that seed went to good, fertile soil. Secondly, they welcomed the word of God. They accepted the word of God. And they had the conviction that, that it was God's word, not just man's word. It was the truth. And, of course, believing that it is the truth is foundational to our Christianity. Last thing you want to start doing is doubting, well, I don't know if this is the truth. Is this really the truth? All this is the truth? 
Yes, it is the truth. Nothing but the truth. What is 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be what? Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Brothers, you don't need anything outside of this which you hold in your hand. And yet, how much time do you give to this which you hold in your hand compared to the sports page, the newspaper, the iPad, the TV, all the different things that are, are robbers of our time. They welcomed it. Not men's words or counsels, not fables or made-up stories. It was truth spoken by God himself through his spirit, of course, pinned by human instruments. They received it. They welcomed it. They believed it. They believed the word. There was that, inferent, that in, inward transference from the mind to the heart. And guys, unless the heart changes, it doesn't do any good. If it stops right here, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that know the Bible forwards, backwards, inside and out. But it hasn't gone below their neck. It hasn't come to their heart. When it, you came to salvation, that's what took place. I can remember, started in church January 1988. I was in church eight months. And I really kind of thought, of, I guess I'm saved. I think I'm saved, whatever. But you know what? I had head knowledge. I, I actually believed what the guy was saying, what the pastor was saying. But it hadn't reached the heart. Because when the word of God reaches a man's heart, what happens to the man? Bam. It's over with. It's done. It's, there's, no, there's no more convincing needing. It's, it's over with. It's done. You're changed. Your heart had to change. They believed the word. And then fourthly, they applied it. How do we know this? Verse 14, it was effectively working in them. There was this positive change made in their life. They followed godly examples, as Paul said. And in chapter 1, verse 7, they became godly Examples to others. The word of God effectively working in them. Is there the evidence in our lives that the word of God is effectively working? Is it having an impact? Is there a change that's taking place? Is there correction? Is there reproof? Is there instruction? I mean, it's one thing to read the word of God, but as James said, you really look in the mirror, there's no change. You're a hearer only, you're not a doer. They applied the word. It was effectively working in them, but also, how do we know this? It caused them to be persecuted. Man, for you became imitators of the churches of the God which are in Judea and Christ, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Caused them to be persecuted. And, and this, this persecution, according to God's word, is, is really, there, it's a proof that we've come to know the Lord. When you think about it, now we went through trials and such before we were Christians, of course. We went through life and such. But you were on, you were on the side of the devil. You were in his camp. You were having dinner with him. He, you were hanging out with him. So he was kind of backing off on you. Just enough to keep you, keep you close. But, but the minute you became his enemy, what happened? You're like, what happened? What, what? 
I didn't expect this. No one told me about this. This is like the fine print or something. Man, you got your teeth kicked in and whooped on. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, They that desire to live godly will suffer persecution. It's just Christianity wouldn't have won. They applied the word. It was effectively working. It caused them to be persecuted. And the result, number five, of God's working effectively in them, they were triumphant Christians, you guys. A triumphant Christian life. And this triumphant people, us, we we look at the word of God. What does God's word do? I wrote down seven seven passages of scripture. And they're, they're listed. I'll read them to you. You can go back later. What does the word of God do for us? Number one, it saves, of course. We know this. 1 Peter 1.23, born again, not of corruptible seed, but faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? The word. It saves. The word sanctifies. Jesus, John 17.17, sanctifies your truth. Your word is truth. It sanctifies. The word of God takes and changes us and, and gives us this place where this life is being changed. We're sanctified and we're progressively being sanctified as we read the word of God, the Holy Spirit working in our lives as we continue to where we are permanently sanctified when we step out of these bodies. It matures. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire their pure milk that you may grow. The word will cause you to grow. We know this. It frees. Jesus again in John 8. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. If you abide in my word, you abide in my word, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from the law, free from the bondage, free from... Sin and death. It also counsels. Psalm 119, 24. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. You know, with the Lord and his word, you you don't need any other counselors. I mean, you can go and talk with people who can kind of encourage you and, you know, help you maybe to figure some things out. But what did it say about Jesus? He is our wonderful what? Our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace, the Word of God, His testimonies are my delight and my counselors. It builds, Acts 20, 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And seven, it ensures spiritual success. Psalm 1, the number one psalm. I love this psalm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in what? In the law of the Lord, and he meditates in the law day and night. And he shall be like what? Like a tree planted firmly by the rivers of water that bears fruit in its seasons and whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall what? Prosper. The word ensures spiritual success and Oftentimes with my nieces and nephews and, you know, when I'm signing birthday cards for them, whatever, Uncle Rob, Psalm 1, Psalm 1, Psalm 1, Psalm 1. A triumphant people, guys. They receive the word, they welcome the word, they believe the word, they apply the word. Changes their lives. 
Number two, though, now Paul speaks of a tragic people. Tragic. Verse 15. So he goes on, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and they are contrary to all men, forbidding us, to, forgive, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost man, a tragic people. The Judeans, they rejected the truth of the gospel. They held on to their traditions. They were old wineskins, and they went nowhere in their lives. Number one, they rejected the word, the Messiah. Plain as can be. Would not believe what Jesus said about himself. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. This passage of scripture. Here Jesus referring to himself in Isaiah such an amazing passage of scripture. How many of you guys know this passage? Luke chapter 4. Come on. You, return in your Bibles. You've got to know this passage. Luke 4, verse 18. We'll start in verse 16. This is where Jesus, he's in Nazareth, his hometown. Homeboy here. Local boy. Luke 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. And here it is, direct quote from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover your sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, sounds good. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And when he sat down, that meant he was going to start teaching. That's how that worked there, see. Most of the time in churches today, the preachers stand. Back then, they sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Imagine, imagine being in that room where you believed that what he had just read, he was attesting to himself, claiming to be the Messiah. Imagine if you believe that and your eyes are opened, man. This the Messiah, and some did. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son, though? And it began to turn there. They didn't believe it. They're like, wait a minute. He just said he's the Messiah, but he's Joe's son. He, he's always been around. And, of course, it went from bad to worse there. <laughs> Jesus calls him out. And, of course, those of you who have been to Israel, we, we go out on tour and we go out to where they took him to try and throw him over the side. We actually go to that spot there. And they, of course, preach from this passage of Scripture. But uh, it's a wicked place, man. You look down, it's like, whoa, it's a long way down. Anyhow, back to the passage of Scripture. Man, they rejected the word of the Messiah, Jesus himself. What he said, he Said he was it. Nope. Not believing it. 
Number two, though, they denied the word, the prophets, the prophets, who would not believe what the prophets told them about the judgment that was to come, their idolatry, their sin, and the Messiah. They rejected the word. They denied the word, what was written. Because remember, what we have in our hand wasn't what they had then. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the Psalms back in those days and such. They didn't have all what we got, but it was enough. Paul, when he talks about the scriptures, when he talks about the word to them, you know, we look at this, but, you know, what we, what we usually are teaching from, it was just letters that Paul wrote. They had the word. The gospel was preached from the Old Testament, so to speak. They denied that. They denied the prophets. Jesus in Matthew 23, 7 said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. They denied, number three, they persecuted the believers. Of course, the gospel was rejected and spurned by the Greeks, by the Jews, by the Gentiles, the Romans, man. And all of those people groups persecuted the believers for their faith. And the persecution, of course, resulted in the death of many. I mean, it was, it was serious business to be a believer back then. I mean, we complain because we got to wear a mask. That's persecution, baby. We're being persecuted. Oh. And you've heard that before, and people have talked about that before. We get to heaven, they're going to walk up, and they're going to look around, make sure Jesus isn't looking. They're going to, bam! And the slap is right in the face. Are you guys kidding me? You thought that was persecution? Jeez. They killed the prophets. They killed the Messiah. They killed many of the believers. Man, they persecuted them, people. To the death. To the death. But, Paul goes on to say, they received the wrath. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul, in writing this, is referring to destruction that would come as spoken by the prophets. But also, Paul was so certain that this Judgment would come that he uses the term kind of in the past tense as if it had already come. And when you read the prophets and when you read the Old Testament, you read through the stories, it's amazing what these guys wrote about that was to come, that did come many times over. I mean, if the prophetic book would speak about that time would come, then this would be, it's just amazing. Reading through the Bible right now, I'm in Lamentations. Anybody like reading the book of Lamentations? <laughs> really, it's, it's funeral poems is what they describe it. You've got to turn with me to, to Lamentations chapter 4. Turn with me, brothers. It's in the Bible. Trust me. <laughs> Jeremiah, Lamentations. Written by Jeremiah. Chapter 4. I've got to read this to you. Because here is what... This isn't... Lamentations isn't like prophecy of what was to come. Lamentations is a record of what Jeremiah actually experienced and saw, you guys. And reading through this passage, it floored me. When we get to verse 10, it literally floored me as I was reading through. Just like, my God, my God, what happened to this wonderful nation that God had chosen? Lamentations chapter 4, you guys all there? You believe me that it's in the Bible, right? Chapter 4, verse 1. 
how the gold has become dim, how changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold, how they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of the potter. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughter of my people is cruel, like ostriches in the wilderness. Look at this. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom. Man, which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. Her Nazarites were brighter than the snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance, speaking of health and vitality. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. Man, it has become as dry as wood. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. And when, of course, Nebuchadnezzar came and they put the, they surrounded Jerusalem and all they did is just wait it out. Wait it out. And what happens here, verse 10, this just killed me. The hands of the compassionate woman, the one who loved her child so much, have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it has devoured the foundations. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Man, the tragic people, they received the wrath for the rejection. Back then, Paul referring to what was coming as well. All because they rejected the word of the Lord. Serious stuff. That, that part about the woman cooking her own children. Now, granted, I believe and trust that they were already dead. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at your, your kid there. I'm starving to death. And you kill the kid? Then you cook them? Sick, isn't it? Sick. Sick, sad. Some application for us tonight. Number one, living the triumphant life or a tragic life all depends on what you do with God's word. Do you believe that? If I embrace it and live by it, it will become to me a fountain of life. Never-ending source of refreshment, never-ending source of nourishment, never-ending source of instruction. And that's what you hold in your hand, guys. Every day, the, the ability to read it, to receive it, to drink it in, to 
to have it work effectively in your lives. But if I don't embrace it, and none of this is a reality, then none of this will be a reality. My life will be in a constant state of confusion, instability, strife, turmoil. And really, that's a picture of the world. Look at the news. No, don't look at the news. You know, it's so funny, man. You can't help but hear what's happening out there. Go out to breakfast with a couple of my buddies, and they're like, you hear about this? You hear about this? You hear about this? And, of course, no, no, no. And then they tell me. And what happens? I get upset. It's like, stop. I don't want to hear no more. And my buddy says, well, how are you going to know how to vote? I'll just listen to you. (laughs) I don't need to watch the news to know. You'll tell me anything and everything anyhow. Man, they were at odds, and they're at odds because they reject the word. Embrace it, and this is what will happen. Don't embrace it, and this is what will happen. Number two, the tragic. Of course, they regard his word as something that can be treated, and this is happening in the church. As if it's counsel, they can obey at their own discretion. You know, I like this portion of scripture. Oh, this is really good. This is this. Oh, I love this stuff. Oh, this part. Nah, huh. This isn't the truth. This isn't God's word. Somebody wrote that. Somebody that had an attitude towards whatever. No, no, I pick and choose. The church is picking and choosing which scriptures they're going to obey, which they're going to believe is the truth, and which they're going to believe is from God, and which is really from man. That's the tragic. They don't see it as God's word. They don't see it as the instruction manual for life. They don't see it as life or death. Do Do you believe that what you hold in your hand has the answers of life and death right here? It's life. Therefore, the tragic Christian, their their Christian lives, these men and women, they're far from what Jesus talks about living the abundant life. It's a tragic life, not the abundant life. Their lives are a mess. Their witness is trash. And honestly, they give more glory to Satan than they do to God because of the witness of the things that are going on in their lives. And the world looks at it and says, yeah, you're a Christian. Man, they're instruments of Satan rather than of God. Terrible. But the triumphant, all of us in this room, amen, they regard his word as it is intended. Another list of seven. The triumphant regard his word as, number one, it is truth. It is truth. And when when I read this, you see the scriptures there. Look at how many are in Psalm 119. When was the last time you read Psalm 119? Just finished reading through that. It's reading through the Bible. Such an amazing psalm. You need to read it once a month at least, guys. Just bam. It is truth. Psalm 119, 160. The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. It is life, as I just said. Psalm 119, 50. For this is my comfort and my infliction, for your word has given me life, brothers. Life, salvation, it is hope. Psalm 119.49, remember the word of your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. It is right. Psalm 119.75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right. And then in faithfulness you have afflicted me. It is pure. Psalm 119.140, 
Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loved it. It's powerful. Hebrews. Maybe this is a little more familiar with you. Hebrews 4. 12, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intention of the heart. And guys, that's when we read the word of God, that's what it does for us. Even as Paul said, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. And by this word, your servant is warned these things that, that keep us from going down the wrong path. We were talking in our leadership meeting about an individual situation and where the person that had been this Christian, they, they'd kind of turned, you know, it, it, it kind of like watered down. They were, they were able to say words they wouldn't have said before. And when we started getting loose, when, when things start happening in our lives, the greatest thing that God has is when we're reading through the word, he knows it. So he directs us to a word that says, hey, you know what? Watch, in a sense, I'm paraphrasing, but watch your mouth. Or maybe you're starting to get prideful, and he, and he directs you to the word and says, hey, man, pride comes before destruction. Ooh, Lord, you're speaking. Lord, you're ministering. Or maybe the lust thing. Maybe the pornography thing. He speaks the word of God. It's powerful, you guys. And lastly, it is Jesus. Love this in John 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory has only the begotten of the Father for the grace and truth, my brothers. Tonight, what effect has the word had on you? Now, I pray I'm preaching to the choir because every single one of you guys, you know what? Thank you, Pastor Rob, for reminding me, for encouraging me this, but I'm with you in this. I'm there, man. I'm the triumphant guy. I'm in the word of God, every man, every day. I'm receiving it. I'm believing it. I'm applying it. It's changing me. It's lifting me. It's building me. It's challenging me. It's correcting me. It's making me a better man of God. It's making me a better husband, wife, father. I'm a wife. (laughs) Better husband, father. To my kids, better worker. Are you the tragic or are you the triumphant? I love in Jeremiah 15, 60, thy words were found and I did eat. And they became what? The joy and rejoicing of my heart. My brothers, I pray with all of my heart that you guys, you're in the word of God. You're experiencing the joy, that fellowship that comes when you anticipate him speaking. And you write in your journal, Lord, speak to me this morning. I need to hear your voice. And then when you have that wonderful transaction where you ask, And God answered, and you're just like, man, this is so cool. And you got direction for the day. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how you're going to handle the situation. You know that he's faithful. You know you can continue walking because he spoke to you in his word, clearly. You know, I was going to play this song, but it's it's an older song, 1986. Anybody? I know I'm going to date myself here. Larnell Harris. Anybody remember Larnell Harris? Amen. Great gospel singer, beautiful. I remember back in the day, I got saved in 88, and this song came out in 86. It was a song saying, I miss my time with you. And the song is sung from the perspective of the Lord singing to the person and the person singing back to the Lord. Now, I want to chase you guys out. But seriously, it just goes on. I miss my time with you. 
And it basically was like, I remember this time, and you've gotten so busy. And this is the Lord talking to the person, and the person responds and says, you know what? You're so right. I got to get back to this place where I'm spending time with the Lord every single day, guys. I pray that those who are still in that place where your devotions are scattered and, and not all together and, and you haven't worked in that discipline into your life of it being every morning, no matter what, unless the house is on fire and your Bible gets burned up. And then you can go to the phony Bible. That would be okay. You can go to the phony Bible after that. But man, guys, recognizing, look at your lives. Maybe. Maybe God is speaking in it. You know what? You're right. There's, it's just not coming together. Not that my life's together. Don't get me wrong. But I tell you what, man, it is so great to have that time in the morning where he speaks and ministers and, and gives you comfort and peace and, and changes your direction. We need it, guys. His word is life. His word is hope. His word is peace. It's comfort. It's our counselor. It's our guide. It does all that. And it's just right here in your hands. Amen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, again, we are so thankful that um, we have the ease of having this thing we call a Bible in our hands. Lord, we know there's people around this world who don't have it, who have no access to it, or maybe who have it and yet have to hide it for fear of persecution and possible death, Lord. Father, pray for every man here that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to their hearts, the Lord, that you would open it up to them and you would, you would blow their minds, Lord, that they would be reminded by what they read that you know exactly what's going on, not only in their hearts, but in their lives, in the physical circumstances, the, the, the areas of our life that are real, that are tangible, the finances, the problems with kids and jobs and and issues of life and health and all this stuff. So, Lord, bless them, I pray, even in their group time. But, Lord, truly that you would make uh, every man, every day, a man of your word. So, bless we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.